Welcome to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. WellMed Radio will educate you about health and wellness for seniors and their families throughout Bear County and Central Texas. During the next hour, your hosts Ron Aaron and nurse practitioner Cora Zhuk will share information that will help you improve your health and wellness. And now, here's Ron Aaron and Cora Zhuk. Thank you very much, and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. Cora's a graduate of Texas Tech University undergrad and got her master's as a nurse practitioner there and is working on her doctorate at uh, University of uh, Texas at Houston, advanced degree in nurse practitioning, but the administrative side. Correct. So you want to be a big boss. Yes, I want to be in the C-suite, if you would. <laughs> you, you want to be able to say jump and they jump how well, high? Well, really, it's just getting down to the healthcare economics and the business of healthcare. Um, you know, I figure I figure I, I, did a, I did a lot of work in, in actually doing the work for patients and with patients, but now I want to do it at the business level and understanding what Medicare is ex- the expectation is from them on us. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, in essence, the thesis you're working on uh, looks at how to lower the risk of readmittance right. into hospitals. So we understand that 30-day readmissions are so expensive and costly to Medicare. And frankly, hospitals do not get reimbursed based on their 30-day all-cause readmissions because we're just spending hand-over-fist dollars. And we, as primary care providers, have to do better jobs of managing that cost, especially in a risk-adjusted model such as a Medicare Advantage. It's, it's solely the responsibility of the primary care physician to partner with the patient, to collaborate, and and to develop an ideal approach to healthcare. And so my project is managing the post-discharge depression that's associated with so many chronic diseases and identifying that early and collaborating through a shared decision model with patients to keep them out of the hospital to improve their quality of life. Now, one of the risks of diabetes, for example, mm-hmm. is depression. Absolutely. You know, you got to think about what comes first. Is it the depression that causes diabetes or is it diabetes that causes depression? Is it just this cyclical cycle that we have? And, you know, our, our guest today is a type 1 diabetic. She shared with us. And so that in itself also has a depression aspect of it. And and what do I do? Do I not eat the right foods? And I can't do this or I can't can't do that, or I'm limited here, or it's based on your outlook on what you can do and what you can overcome and what you have overcome. And that's what we try to focus on with our patients. And that leads us to Bridget Wilson, a registered nurse and a certified diabetes educator. She's with clinical programs with WellMed and based out of Nebronfels, covers nine WellMed clinics. And she joins us now on our WellMed radio hotline. Bridget, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoy the conversation and look forward to uh, my, in, my my input in this topic. It's very dear to me, being a type 1 diabetic for going on 40 years now. So, How old were um, you when I, you were diagnosed? I was 12 when I was diagnosed, so I just revealed my age. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a struggle. The depression component is huge, and I think... Um, a lot of times I notice, you know, uh, you know in you're, that part. You're absolutely right because you're getting a chronic disease diagnosis as a child. And so what an adjustment you had to have made. And, and considering your pancreas was no longer providing your body with the insulin, at that point, your whole lifestyle changes. You have to now give yourself insulin. You have to watch everything that you eat, dose yourself based on the insulin. So knowing the calculations at such a young age, that is quite a lot for for somebody to take on at 12. Uh, for sure. And, you know, at that time in my life, I can say I was a very, you know, it was depression, but at that time I was angry, very angry, you know, why me? And, and I never understood it. Well, such um, such a fragile so, age of 12. You know, you think about yeah. the body image disturbance. I have a daughter who's 11 and starting to go through the modesty and and she's got right. she's transitioned from the little girl now into into an a woman aspect and and it's I think about her getting dealt a blow of, you know, type 1 diabetes. And then also for the parent to think about all of the what ifs on my type 1 diabetic child. Correct, correct. And and I was grateful for the fact that being diagnosed and 
my placement, I was at Texas Children's Hospital at the time, and they took the time and they told my mother, this is her disease, and they may be the responsible one. I'm going to give my own thoughts. Even though I was in the hospital for a month, um, going through this process, that, um, it was that's very amazing. daunting. That, that is but amazing. Now, because being an educator and working with similar members or patients in my situation, um, you know, you're, it's your disease. You're going to have to do it. No one's going to be there to do it. And it, it's very de- depressing and, and daunting. And at a young age, it can be detrimental. Um, you know, now I work with seniors, so I'm on the flip side of that. Um, and, you know, getting them to change their ways in that aspect. And, and a lot of diagnoses come across due to changes in lifestyle, the loss of a spouse. I'm working with a dear member now. And so his whole life changed, and now he's diabetic because of his lifestyle changed so much after the passing of his spouse. Right. And so very depressed, not sleeping, and, and all this, and these stressors, and now he's diabetic on top of it, and he just... Um, he felt helpless. It's, it's very hard to get people to overcome that. Overwhelming. I, like, oh, I can relate to that. I was like, you know, why me? Um, you know, what am I going to do now? I'm gonna, am I going to die early? You know, all that. Can I have kids? Can I live a normal life and mm-hmm. be healthy? So I do appreciate the role I play in some of these people's lives to help them, you know, realize you can live a normal life. You can't eat, but you're going to have to participate. All right, now stay with us just a minute. Uh, hang on, we're going to come right back to you, Bridget. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, when you're talking on, on your cell phone, be sure you talk right into the phone. You're, you're fading in and out a little bit. Okay. And I think it's because you're probably moving your arm or your phone. Uh, yeah, I'll do better. There you Sorry. are. Okay. Try it. That's perfect. Thank you. Now you're listening to WellMed Radio okay. on 930 AM, The Answer. If you just joined us, I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke, and we're talking on our WellMed Radio hotline with Bridget Wilson. She's a registered nurse and a clinical programs educator with WellMed, graduated from the Alvin Community College near Houston, also a certified diabetes educator. And as she mentioned, she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 12. And one of the things that uh, we are seeing more and more, and I realize working with WellMed patients, you're predominantly working with Medicare-eligible seniors, but we're seeing type 2 diabetes diagnosed in younger and younger individuals. Oh, yes, it's on the rise, and I attribute that to our society and the evolution of our electronics, these computers, the video games. Um, The kids aren't outside playing. They're not active. The other part of that is look at the fast foods they're exposed to. We don't, we don't, I don't see, you know, parents as, you know, cooking meals, healthy meals for their children, you know. So uh, that couples up with all that. And childhood obesity and type 2 diabetes is, is running wild, to say the least. Well, tell us, if, if you will, when you first meet with either your individual or a group of patients who have just been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, what are the things you tell them? What are the things you go through? Um, I actually, um, you know, open uh, ask a lot of open-ended questions, you know, you know, what's changed in your life, you know, has your weight been stable, you know, how, what does your day look like, um, do you live alone, do you have a uh, caregiver, a sister, a family member, um, all those aspects attribute to their ability to self-manage their diabetes. I mean, it's not just take a pill and a lot of them think that if they take this pill, it's all, it's all better, but there's so much more to it. So I get a lot of uh, personal psychosocial history uh, to navigate through the education process with them. What I think is so is such a, I guess the most trying period is when patients come to me and, and, and say, you know, we talked about last week the importance of preventative maintenance and, and the importance of them coming and establishing early with their PCP. But for those patients who say, you know what, I'm, when I'll come in when I'm sick, when I don't feel well, and they're coming in and now they've got a sore on their toe and, and 
I haven't seen them for years, and all of a sudden I drive their, draw their labs, and and they have an A1C of eleven, and so we're past the point of oral medication at this point. Now, for point. those who don't know, A1C measures that's their three month collection of blood sugars. Um, it's a hemoglobin, um, it's a hemoglobin measurement of of collective sugars within the blood. Now, eleven so, is a bad number. Eleven is a bad number. Six point five is where we start to diagnose diabetes, and when we when we see it going higher than that, we can obviously look and judge that. That their sugars are running higher than they than they typically should. You know, 126 or less fasting or less than 180 postprandial, which is two hours after your largest meal. Now, type one diabetics, and we do have a few in the clinics. Type one diabetics typically will run higher than that. Um, they have more leeway. But our type twos, they don't have as much leeway. And so we really have to gain that control because their pancreas is still trying to make insulin. But when I first diagnose them at an 11 and, and they're not getting the gold star and I tell them, look, we're past the point of needing oral medication. Now we're at insulin. This is the crucial time that they need to be involved with a diabetic educator, especially one that can come to them with a story and somebody who can say, look, I have been here. I was here at at a very vulnerable age of 12, you're at a very vulnerable portion of your life. And and we need to work together. And I can tell you how I overcame the depression and how I have managed to give myself insulin. Because giving yourself a shot, even when you look at how small the needle is, it is scary. And, and I've seen people contemplate and talk themselves through it saying, I can do it. I can do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And so it's great that we have the resources at WellMed to get them in with a partner like Bridget to be able to educate them. Now, Bridget, how much has the technology improved beyond just administering, for example, a single shot of insulin to using a, a, a pump? Oh, wow. It's come a long way. And even beyond a pump for these people that are type 2, there is even um, insulin patches, which they change out daily. And it's minimal calculating it's kind of figured up for them so it has come tremendous made tremendous strides over the years for sure so a patch that you, they put a patch on their skin uh it's a little pod it looks probably the size of like one and a half by one and a half little plastic container thing and it, it's an adhesive they load it with insulin and it distributes insulin continuously during the day they change it out every 24 hours, and you actually never see the needle, um, but it is inserted with a needle, huh. and they load the insulin daily. Um, that seems to be doing well, but once it is not for everybody, I've learned over the years. So some people do well and want to pump and want to be involved in intricate management like that. Others want it simple, two shots a day, which is totally different in- insulin therapy, but you got to look at their psychosocial environment. That's why it's so important to me to understand what they're going through and look at their lives and if they've got support, if they don't have support and things like that to now, make that personalized you find, decision. We were talking last week about patients who are non-compliant, don't adhere uh, to the regimen they should be on. With diabetes, that can be deadly. Oh, for sure. And, you know, non-compliance comes in many forms. You know, I always we they always send us the non-compliant members. Um, but you got to look at you know their situation. For instance, I was working with a lady for quite some time, a serial of, of appointments, and working with her. And she, you know, promised me she was taking her insulin. Um, you know, and she was doing what she's supposed to do, and her diet looked well. Um, come to find out, um, she didn't have electricity in her home. Therefore, the refrigerator wasn't working. She was storing in a little cooler. So she was embarrassed to say it, and it took a couple of visits for us to figure out what truly was going on. So she was taking bad insulin. I mean, that was the best to our knowledge, to to figure out what truly was going on with her. What's really... You just never know. What's really important is the ability to to meet patients where they are, to meet their needs where they are at that time, at that moment in history, not where we project them to be. We always give them their goals and we say, here's what you need. But we have to look at them as individuals and, and not make assumptions. You know, it takes me back to my very first patient in nursing school where he was a diabetic and needed insulin and 
he didn't have any electricity or running water. And, you know, the doctors kept, I read through the medical records, kept writing the words noncompliance, but nobody asked him why. He was never asked, not one time, why are you not taking your medicine? It was, you're not taking your medicine. You're not doing this. It's the weight loss story Mm -hmm. that I tell you about all the time. You know, for me, I was telling my patient all the time, your A1C is terrible. You're, You're not losing weight. You need to lose weight. And he looked at me and he says, well, what about you? You know, he finally reached his breaking point and, and we got through that together. But sometimes you have to figure out what is it that I'm missing that can help you as a patient do better. Did you help that woman or, or that man with electricity? What did you do to help his solve his problem? Um, I referred to a social worker, um, local churches that, you know, donate and help um, and specifically for New Braunfels. We do have a charitable uh, Wesley nurse program with the Wesley Church. And from my recollection, um, the problem was resolved. She needed a new refrigerator on top of electricity. So, um, yeah, it was a roundabout way. It took some a lot of time. But in the meantime, we had to figure out a way to um, help her with her diabetes, make sure her insulin was stable, um, because you, never, you don't know you're taking bad insulin unless, your blood sugars go up after you take it, and that was the, kind of the situation with her. Um, she thought she was doing everything right and didn't understand the importance of storing her insulin. So it was it was a lot of work, but through other sources, we did resolve the issue with her. That's an and important story. She ended up in assisted living. I'm sorry. Uh, that's an important living. story to share with people. Yeah, you just never know. Right. So, so Bridget, well, tell us about some of the other programs that are offered through the CDE or the Certified Diabetic Education Program through WellMed, and what what um, who is involved and who is invited, and can you know if I'm not if I'm not a WellMed patient, can I bring a friend? Tell me about those programs. Uh, our wellness program is available at all uh, well WellMed facility clinics. Um, we offer scheduled wellness classes. I'm at every clinic once a month. My bigger clinics twice a month, scheduled days of the month. Um, it is a referral base or it is free to the public. They're welcome to bring uh, non-WellMed members are always welcome. It's the advertising component that we lack that of, but um, it is open to the public. It's scheduled. It's um, on the intranet site. It is on WellMed 360. And on the side, right-hand side, there's these little icons, and it talks that there's our education calendar with all our classes and all the clinics they're at. We have four educators in San Antonio, um, and then the other regions, Corpus, of course, uh, El Paso, Austin, um, they all have also the same type of program. How did you transition into the education side? Well... As being a nurse, um, I was actually a hyperbaric nurse and worked at a wound care clinic for many years. Um, and being the diabetic guru, um, I got to teach them all about what we need to do to heal wounds um, and that stuff. So that's what got me into um, solely diabetic education. From there, I worked with diabetic educators and got my CDE for that. Tell us about the process to get your CDE. Um, it's pretty taxing. It took me a couple of years to get all my hours of teaching. Um, I believe it's a thousand hours now within a amount of time. And then you have to test out for it. Wow. Uh, they recommend also including a core curriculum class, which is given by the ADA, the American Diabetes Association. Mm. And so this is a board certification. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, that's great. So there is some credibility behind the educators that that WellMed sends to. You know, we're not when we when we refer our patients to the education programs. um, It's not just here's somebody who's taken a weekend class and and has some information. It's it's actually board certified educators on this particular subject who are subject matter experts and can deliver the best information to you based on the best evidence available. So, and they keep up with their certification with through continuing education and always go to seminars to understand the best, you know, methods of delivery and the best education that they can possibly give. So Bridget Wilson, when you take a look at uh, first your experience diagnosed at age 12 with diabetes and now working with people who are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes 
later in life. But what are the one or two things you try to share with them uh, to get them moving forward? Oh, man, there's so much. Just that um, I acknowledge that it's a terrible thing to live with, um, but I remind them that it's something that you can control. Um, so I try to empower them with that um, and, you know, let them know you can continue to live a healthy life, remind them of that. Um, but those are the main things I look for in a person, you know, what, 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 what drives them and what doesn't drive them. You know, I, I don't mean to be partial to women or men, but men seem to be the ones that are more in denial. Um, I'm, I feel fine. I'm not sick. I don't believe it. I'm not diabetic. I'm not going to take this medication. Um, so, you know, depending on their personality, you know, whatever persuasion, if you want to call it, uh, works for them, we'll, I'll use it. You All right, know, we're going to come. Um, we're going to come right back to you. Don't go anywhere. We're talking with okay. registered nurse and certified diabetes educator Bridget Wilson. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Cora Juke. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. Carol Zornio, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS On Air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving right here on KLUP. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 a.m., The Answer with Ron Aaron and our co-host, Cora Juke, who is a nurse practitioner. We're talking on our WellMed Radio hotline with nurse Bridget Wilson, who is a registered nurse and a certified diabetes educator, works in clinical programs with WellMed. And we're talking about her efforts to help folks live with diabetes and to remain healthy doing so. And Bridget, one of the things that uh, we've been talking about is how you have been able to use your own example uh, as someone diagnosed at age 12 with type 1 diabetes. Are there differences in terms of how you maintain your health for someone with type 1 versus type 2? I know sometimes the medication is different. What about the lifestyle, the eating, the exercise? Um, Those pretty much mirror each other, whether it's type 1 or type 2. We all want to eat healthy. We all want to maintain a healthy weight. We all want to remain active. Um, Both of those concepts work great for the type 1 and the type 2. As far as medication, that is the main difference um, in treating them. Um, I can tell you, and, and, and the modalities of it, too, being on an insulin pump is very uh, prominent in the di- type 1 po- population versus type 2. Um, you see more of injectable medications or inject, you know, syringes and pens to administer their insulin if needed. Um, so, you know, I hate to say it, but sometimes a scare tactic of if you want to avoid insulin, you better make these lifestyle changes. Um usually goes over pretty well with a lot of them. Um, I can tell you that's a big motivational tool as far as getting someone on track uh, to make healthy lifestyle changes. Well, my PCP found a way to motivate me. I was a borderline, wasn't there yet. A1C was still below 6.5, but it was climbing up. And I went for my regular uh, appointment with Dr. Richard Presses uh, at the Wellman Clinic on Loop 410 at Centerview, and he had sitting on the exam table, I was sitting in a chair, a uh, glucose blood monitor, just sitting there. Yes. And we talked, and we talked for a while, and toward the end of the visit, he said, do you know what this is? I said, well, yeah, I've seen pictures of him. It's a a blood glucose monitor to measure blood sugar. Why? Because you're going to need that if you don't do something about where you are now. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And it made a difference for little Ronnie, let me tell you. And, you know, you definitely don't want to use scare tactics if you don't have to. Well, you knew my personality. But it comes down to, you know, and Bridget's right, it comes down to sometimes that's what motivates people. That's, you know, we'd be, we're really nice and we try to be friends this whole time. And we tell them, oh, you know, you're doing good except your sugars are climbing and, you know, bad things can happen. and, And we beat around the bush too much. But I think providers really need to be honest with people and say, I'm trying to save your feet. I'm trying to save your vision. I'm trying to save you for quality of life so that you're not going to be hospitalized and you're not going to miss grandkids' birthday parties because you're feeling ill. You know, these are things that we need to have honest conversations about. And I think too often we beat around the bush. I know as a provider, I have been guilty of beating around the bush and saying, oh, we're going to keep an eye on your sugars. Well, what does that mean? Or watch what you put in your mouth. Watch what you eat. Well, what does that mean? Do I watch it as it goes from my plate into my mouth? That's the see it diet. You eat everything you see. Exactly. Exactly. So I say, look, you know, we need to cut the carbs out now. We need to, you know, not let the bread truck follow you around. Um, We need to lose weight. And here's how we're going to do it together. And so sometimes you have to be brutally honest with patients to get them to understand, especially... Our elderly population, they have established their ways, right, Ron? They've established their ways, and and it's really difficult. Let me tell you. I have the right to remain silent and the right to an attorney. A sensible diet, and you are your own attorney, so your attorney's present. (laughs) But but here's here's the thing, you know. If you tell somebody who's 65, I really want you to eat a sensible diet or, or watch what you eat, and for 65 years, they have been eating nachos and McDonald's and whatever else. Chicken fried steak for a chaser. It's going to be really difficult for them to change their lifestyle. So you need to start early and give them parameters and have and be have them be accountable and be their accountability partner that they will come back and see you frequently and get them involved in education early. Oftentimes, even as well-med providers, we wait till it's too late. We forget about our educators. We forget about that chronic piece. And that is the missing link in actually reaching out and getting in tune with our patients because these nurses can actually get one-on-one education with them in both English and in Spanish. And they can provide them with the materials that they can have in their homes and they have more time to be able, and they see fewer, you know, if we're seeing, you know, 20 patients a day, they can take that one difficult patient and turn them around in three months. And if you can save one life, you've made such a difference. And so we just don't utilize them enough and we need to start doing so. So what do you think, Bridget? Well, on that topic, I want to add on to that. Along with the wellness classes, as educators, we are available to meet with members one-on-one. That has to be a referral. Um, So that is another option for these uh, people that need more intensive education, a look at one-on-one. That is an option for our our, uh, providers, too. So I want to add that to our wellness classes. That's something else we also include. And patients need to understand this is free of charge. There's nothing out of pocket that they're going to have to pay. Sometimes going and meeting with the educator is going to actually save them money out of pocket because that's a little less specialist that they have to see if they can get control of their diet early. So Bridget, can you eat yourself healthy if you're diagnosed with type 2 diabetes? Uh, Can you end up with no medication if you follow diet and exercise regimens? Yes, it's going to be a lifelong commitment, a lifestyle change. You know, I don't refer to people putting them on a diet um, because I look at diets as temporary and usually we fail at them. So I encourage them to look at, just look at the way they're eating and make it a habit. Um, Look at the food you eat. I'm not going to say never, ever eat a piece of candy again, but when you do, Um, understand a serving size and include it with your healthy meal plan and you should be fine. And they are really more receptive to that. Um, So that's kind of my approach with it um, and getting people on board. I also got to look at their socioeconomical status and say, you know, what's available to you? What can you afford to eat? And then we've got to work around those barriers also. Um, So that's very common 
you know, people think that you have to buy fresh produce to eat healthy. Um, That's not true. I had a, when I was in the Floresville Clinic, I had a patient who was very, very limited financially and said, look, I have such a fixed income. I sometimes have to juggle and whether I pay the food bill or whether I pay the light bill. So I said, look, let's let's get together and let's go through your pantry. I was able to do that in this in this particular case. I was able to go into her home and do a one on one visit with her as a nurse practitioner and she had canned foods. And so we were able to go through and buy, you know, we went to the grocery store together and I was able to say, look, here's what you can buy for this amount of money and here's how you can eat. And she was able to take her A1C down three points in three months eating out of cans, but the right food, not corn and not the sweet things, but learning how to eat healthier out of cans and frozen foods. So it can be done. got to watch the salt in a lot of those canned foods. You do. You do. Um, and, and there was ways around it, but we... But we were able to to accommodate her budget and her okay. needs and her medical needs, and we were able to meet her goals. That's cool. It really is. Yeah. It's exciting. And, and I know, Bridget, I know you get excited, too, when you are able to bring patients down to goal and, and you see that that light, you know, you, you get, you see it when the patient finally gets it, you see that light bulb go off and, and you, you say, they get it, and now let's add to it, and then they get excited when they're able to when they're able to meet their goals. Well, losing weight will get anybody on board quick. Tell me yeah. about it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I love that. Now, uh, something I want to just comment on briefly, since we work, you know, with Walmart in the senior communities, I have a lot of retirement induced diabetics. You know, they work, 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 and they eat. You know how they're used to eating, and they retire, but they're still eating the same. And they're not active, and so we're. I'm seeing uh, quite a few of these come on board. Well, I retired and now I'm diabetic, and I'm thinking, well, it makes sense. You got to look at what you used to do. Now we got to find a way to stay active uh, and and change your eating habits. They don't put those two together at all. It's something that I've come across. I had to mention it only because I've had three members in one of my classes, all little retired seniors that. You know, now they're just falling apart and sick and gaining weight and they're diabetic and they think the world's coming to an end. So, you know, you've got to make people realize, you know, you've got to stay active. We've got to maintain um, a healthy weight and activity and eat healthy. And most of them will get on board and make those adjustments to get back on track. But um, that's something that's pretty common in, in the well-med community for well, sure. It's like professional athletes who retire. And they were used to eating four, five, six thousand calories a day and gaining no weight. Mm-hmm. But if you keep that up, once you're retired, you will balloon up pretty quickly. That is correct. So once they get hold of that concept, they're like, oh, okay. And they usually get on board pretty quick because they want to enjoy their retirement. <laughs> well, it's an old rule of thumb. Calories in, they're going to build right. up all kinds of fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and insulin is something that will scare people enough so you can tell them, look, I have this insulin pen, and if you don't stop, you're going to be, you know, headed to, to headed to a needle, you know, as fast as you can imagine. So that that does get people's right. attention. You mentioned men oh, yeah. early on, and we've talked about that on WellMed Radio, and, and Cora Juke, our nurse practitioner, and others have pointed out that men really are uh, less motivated to see uh, their PCP, less motivated to get a handle on issues less motivated to complain about problems. How do you, Bridget, motivate them? Uh, well, usually I'm talking to these members um, you know, in a wound care clinic where they're about to amputate their toe, and they're like, what do I need to do to fix it? So, um, you know, I always encourage people, make sure you're seeing a doctor, even if you feel well, get checked up, talk about, you know, family history and risk factors um, that contribute to their health. They may be... A healthy weight. They may think they're active, you know, every day of the week, but you still have that risk factor. And so uh, just education. I think education is key. If I can get a hold of them, um, you know, in one of my classes, I stress the importance of regular checkups, you know, getting checked out annually, annually or whatever is needed and let them know 
you've got those risk factors, you need to get checked out more often. So, you know, where in my case, I had no risk factors. It just right. happened. Right. <laughs> so, you mentioned yeah. early on, uh, as a uh, registered nurse, you worked in a wound care setting. Uh, for those mm-hmm. who may not be aware, what is it about diabetes and difficulty healing wounds? Um, well, with elevation and blood sugar, it's all relative to your vascular circulation system. And I try to explain to them, you know, South Texas has, has the highest amputation rate. Um, and it's due to financial constraints, um, poor eating habits, um, but what happens is it affects our circulation and our feet being furthest from our heart, bearing all this weight all day. Uh, what couples along with that is the nerve damage. So these people are unaware that they have a sore on their foot. So, you know, I have to remind them, exercise, you you know, know, there's keep a, the blood flowing. There's a, triple, yeah. there's a triple link to it. I call it the triple threat. And and for patients who are diabetics, you got to think about what else is going on inside of their bodies. So you think mm-hmm. about if you take a warm cup of water and you put, you dilute, or you, you don't dilute it, you pour some sugar in it. So you get sticky water. Throw it on the floor, your feet are going to stick to the floor, correct? The same can be said inside of the blood vessels. So things are sticky. Your blood's a little more sticky. It's thicker. And, and so there's a lot more that's going on there. It's going to stick to the artery walls, just like we talked about last week with, with hypertension or high, high blood pressure. So things mm-hmm. start to stick and you got to think you're not able to perfuse that blood from the brain to, or from the heart to the toes and from the toes to the brain. Perfuse and, and meaning push it through. Push it through, right? And so then you start getting right. cholesterol sticking to the arteries and sugar sticking and, and it's clogging and things are getting really bad. Well, you start to get peripheral vascular disease, which means the blood vessels of the lower extremities just do not perfuse the blood that the way that they used to. And so when that happens, it's like cotton candy, right? There's cotton candy in your blood and your blood is sticky. And what good parts of your blood are left to be able to heal anything? Not much, not much at all. If you ever tried to sew cotton candy together, it's not going to fix, right? It's the same with wounds. So if you have diabetes, you have a higher risk of having peripheral vascular disease, the lower extremities. And if you're not having good perfusion, you're not getting good blood flow to the feet to be able to heal any wounds. And so there's a triple effect there. The wound is related to the peripheral vascular disease, and the vascular disease is directly related to the diabetes. So the diabetes didn't cause your wound. The underlying conditions are the what caused your Wound. And you can't heal it as quickly or at all. That's correct, unless your sugars are controlled. Absolutely. Bacteria love sugar, so oh, absolutely. Think yeah. about think about our women who have frequent yeast infections, or think about people who have um, rashes of the skin that are from yeast. Yeast loves dark, moist, warm areas, and when you have lots of sugar, oh. Sugar and yeast are like the deadly combination. It just multiplies like crazy. Yeah. Now, do you get men, there's their attention when you talk about these issues, Bridget? Uh, yes. Yes, uh, for sure. You know, and with the vascular system and men, it affects every aspect of the male species. Let me just say that. Huh. Um, so you get uh, their attention pretty quick, pretty quick. So how do you spell erectile dysfunction? <laughs> High blood sugar. Well, there you are. Changes are related exactly. to things like that. I've had people come in with that exact problem. Married couples, you know, and his di- being diabetic, and they have neuropathy already sitting in, which is nerve damage, and which is related to high blood sugars also. You know, that's, oh, yeah. that's one of the drivers a lot of times of those what I call the door handle conversations. When I'm getting ready to walk out of the room and I have my hand on the door handle and the man says, um, by the way, there's something else I wanted to talk about. And so I turn and I already know what it is. And I say, when your blood sugar is corrected, that will be too. <laughs> well, and the, then there goes depression in these men. Absolutely. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. Um, so uh, I feel like depression and, and chronic illness with men is higher than with women in that aspect. How do you screen for depression? It goes both ways. How do you screen for the so, depression? Questions, you know, is the mood change? Do you sleep? Um, are you mo- do you have something you look forward to? Do you have hobbies? Um, how do you spend your day? 
type of thing, and, and see how they spend their day. If they socialize with other people, do they talk to other people? Uh, do they inter- you know are they interacting with other people? That type of thing. You know, and, that's and- kind of where I gear their um, social psychosocial uh, status. Yeah, there are more and more reports coming out about uh, how loneliness can lead to all kinds of problems. Right. Well, uh, right. And, so I look at that and, and make sure they're, you know, and I make we share resources with our senior centers that are locally uh, associated with our well-med clinic. So I make sure um, they're involved with activities or, other, you know, being around other people. One thing that you want to think about, too, related to diabetes is we think about how social we are. We're social creatures and how much food plays a role in everything that we do, especially down here in the South. You know, you walk in my mother's door and the first thing she's going to ask you is, have you eaten? And you say, yes, I've eaten. I just ate an hour ago. Well, you look hungry. You look like you could probably eat some more. And so she'll always have some kind of snack food out. And I'll tell you, it's high carb food. It's a diabetic's nightmare. Um, it's, It's somebody who's getting ready to go run a marathon's dream, I guess, because, you know, load up on carbs. But but you're going to burn all that sugar. Right. If you're so, run. Exactly. Yeah. So you might want to run away from her house because, you know, that's quite annoying, her shoving food down your throat. But think about when somebody dies, we eat. When somebody's born, we eat. When you're married, you eat. There's quinceaneras, we eat. Everything revolves around food. And let's face it, the food that tastes good, frankly, is the food that's bad for us. I mean, who doesn't love a bean and cheese taco? But let me tell you, that's so bad for our diabetics. And let me tell you. Deep fried bean and cheese tacos. If you haven't ever had them, you, you'll never want to eat again. It's, I didn't it's know they amazing. made them. Oh, it's amazing. Oh. They're absolutely amazing. But you just think you can feel your A1C substantially rising before your eyes. You know, you just know it is. And so mm-hmm. we got summer coming up. Diabetics think yeah. that they're going to eat healthy with fruit. The first thing they grab is a watermelon. What is it? It's sugar and water. What is it going to do? It's going to raise your A1C. So everything in moderation. My uh, late father used to say uh, he was so sorry when they discovered that fried chicken fat, chicken schmaltz called grievance, is bad for you. Because he used to love eating it. His mom would cook a chicken, scrape the fat off, and then fry it up. Yeah, chitlins Uh or the gizzards. And yeah, everything's fried here in the South. Everything's fried. Well, you're from Ohio. and yeah, they, this is the North. They, they still fry. They still fry. They yeah. still fry. Well, any part of the chicken's better uh, if it's fried. So, yeah. yeah. But think about the lack of exercise that we have around here. Even our seniors, you know, it's so hot here in the summertime, and we were talking about that last week, is that you can't just go outside and, and, and go run or go take a walk in the middle of July. You have to go walk in a mall. You're going to die. Yeah, you're going to die of a heat stroke. So there's not a lot of options as far as getting outside and getting active outdoors for our seniors either. Right. Well, I have many discussions about what you can do in your home to, you know, keep moving. Even if you think it's minuscule and doesn't matter, I said sitting in a chair and doing, you know, leg lifts or you know, standing at the counter, holding on the counter and doing knee lifts or taking, I had a little lady said she got her can of green beans and was doing arm exercises. I said, that's exercise. It's great. You're moving. Yeah. So, you know, got to look at their, you know, what are they, what's available to them and work with what they've got. I said, that's exercise. You know, even if it's your own home, you, you can't get out. It's too hot. Um, you know, there's ways to get around it. And we actually have an exercise class we teach part of our wellness program that talks about chair exercises and home exercises things you can do um as far as that's concerned so So if you just if you were seeing a patient and you're noticing that they're increasing in depression do you do you partner with their primary care and and refer back to their primary care and give them some pointers the patient with some pointers to discuss with their pcp we just want to make sure that patients are understanding that their records are getting back to their pcp and the communication loop is closed Yes, yes, we do. Um, now, if it's a guest, a non-WellMed member, there's different modalities for that. But if they're in our system with WellMed under True Care, that is all documented in a nurse's narrative note. And we also send a letter to their PCP to let them know what they attended, what we taught them, and that. That's great. So you get kudos for that. I always tell patients, you get kudos for this. So, yeah. <laughs> 
Good job. That's wonderful. It's a good motivation for them. Yes. Yeah. So All right, stick with us. We're going to come right back to you. We're talking about what diabetes educators do. And in a particular case, Bridget Wilson, a registered nurse, who's with clinical programs at WellMed Medical Management, works with nine clinics in and around the New Braunfels area, talking about the work that she's been doing and how it's helping patients. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. Carol Zornio, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS on air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving right here on KLUP. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. Well, we're, we're learning quite a bit about diabetes treatment and education with our very special guest, Bridget Wilson, a registered nurse, certified diabetes educator with clinical programs at WellMed Medical Management, covers about nine WellMed clinics in around the Nebraska area, graduate of Alvin Community College outside of Houston. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke, nurse practitioner. And before we run out of time, Bridget, I want to come back to where we began. When you first get together with someone who is newly diagnosed with diabetes, many think it's a death sentence. Many think their life will never be the same that it's all over for them. How do you pull them back up? Well, I tell them and said it's all a matter of how you look at it, how you want to handle it, and the power is going to be, it's in their hands. How Do they want to get better? Do they want to continue to be healthy? And let them know that diabetes is a chronic disease which can be managed and controlled by that individual. Um, so hopefully... You know, my message to them is, is try to empower them um, and let them know that they can control it. They can live a normal life. So um, that's my first approach. Um, the other approach is being their role model. Um, when I tell a lot of my members I work with how long I've been diabetic, and they just kind of look at me and think, you're healthy. I'm like, yeah, I'm healthy, and you can be too. So I, I do use that. Um, empowering tool I acquired, unfortunately, in a in a bad way at age 12. But um, I do use it to empower people um, to know that you can live a healthy life, be diabetic, and, and do the things you love and want to do in life. The moral of the story really is what you don't know can absolutely hurt you. And what what you do about it now can save you because diabetes is not a death sentence. People hear that word and they go into denial about the disease. And I say, this is just like me telling you that you have high blood pressure. You didn't panic when I told you you had high blood pressure, yet it's just as bad as diabetes is. So I, and, you know, I don't understand. Let's take it one day at a time and just learn to live with your new friend. This is your new friend, and you're going to take care of your new friend. Um, we're not going to abuse our new friend. Yeah, but your new friend comes here with a bad reputation. Well, your new friend has a really bad <laughs> attitude, and so it's up to you to play good cop and be the good guy and be the one that that doesn't show through. You don't want diabetes to represent you. You represent diabetes, whether it be in a positive or a negative light. That's a good point. Bridget, we've got about 30 seconds left. Anything you want to add that we haven't asked you? No, not at this time. Um, I would love to have more members join us in our wellness classes. That's what I would love. And how do they sign up if they, uh, at any WellMed clinic, there are, those classes are available? That is correct. There are flyers in all the WellMed clinics with the class time and date on them. 
Um, of course, the front staff should know about the classes and the time and date if they want to call to inquire about any of them. Um, but, yeah, you can just show up um, at any part of the classes. They're two-hour classes. We separate them into hour slots. Um, bring a friend, family, well-med, non-well-med, whoever would like to attend, we'd love to have them. And they're free. They are free. And yes. bring your caregiver with you if there's somebody <laughs> yeah, have a that takes right. that care of you. Bridget, thanks. We appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me. Okay, you take care. Uh Bye-bye. When when you think, Cora, about all the classes that WellMed offers at no cost, Mm -hmm. why does the company do that? Well, the company does it because we invest in the future of our patients. We understand about prevention. We understand how important that is. I'd rather be proactive than reactive about any disease, and I'd rather be able to provide my patients with the necessary education that they need now to prevent it from getting bad in the future so that I don't have to give them medication. And when you refer a patient to one of these classes, do you get feedback? Oh, I get lots of feedback. In fact, all of my patients say how much they absolutely love the programs and how grateful they are. And what's interesting is they actually bring friends, and I've gained patients from them bringing friends because they say, I want to do that too. That's pretty cool. It's great. Well, I'm glad you're over the flu. Me too. Final reminder, if you haven't got your flu shot, it's not too late. It's not too late. And also get into your physician or your primary care provider and get your annual screenings. Make sure that you're getting preventative disease maintenance. Take your car in to get the oil changed. Take your body in to get the labs done. That's what I say. I need a lube and oil change. That's right. Thank you. Cora Juke. I'm Ron Aaron. You've been listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM. The answer, by the way, our shows are available on podcast. Just Google WellMed Radio, and if you don't know how to Google, ask a (laughs) five-year-old. My kids, for example, at age five, could tell you how to do that. You have a great day, everybody. For Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. We'll talk with you soon on WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been enjoying WellMed Radio, an exclusive presentation of WellMed Medical Management. Join us next week for more on your health and well-being. For more information on WellMed or to hear this broadcast again, go to wellmedmedicalgroup.com. We'll see you next week on WellMed Radio.